Many of you don't know that Leah and I, Leah was actually uh, in Bible school, but also a full-time missionary when she and I met in Bible school clear back in 1999. And one of the things that we really kind of connected and, and I really admired about her was her desire to serve God in any capacity that he called her to. So she was the field director for the organization that we're going to be going on the mission field with um, this summer. And one of the focuses of this church has always been outreach and missions, and it's really easy to lose that focus. I believe that Jesus knew that, and that's why after the encounter with the woman at the well, where she was an evangelist that went back into the town, and as it says, told about the man that told her about everything she had done. So Jesus knew her intimately, and she was actually an evangelist to go back, and all the people began to pour out. And as they're pouring out of this city, um, Jesus looks up and he tells his disciples that there are some who have sowed and labored and there's others who reap. And he told them, he said, look to the fields because they are white with harvest. Now, one thing that always kind of really struck me when he said that was there wasn't a revival going on in the synagogues. As a matter of fact, they didn't want him there. They were they were persecuting Jesus, and they were telling him, just you keep moving on, and we'll do our thing, and you do your thing. Um, you look around at the culture of the day, there wasn't... In other words, Jesus saying that wasn't because they could see it with their natural eyes. It's because he wanted them to look with supernatural eyes. And we have always been focused on missions and focused on missionaries. We have several full-time missionaries, two in India. We have a precious couple. Irene was raised right here in this church, and she met Andrew, and her and Andrew are over in in, uh, Spain, working in Spain and North Africa with refugees and working in some very tough areas of the world, and we support them monthly, and we do all of those things out of a heart because we want to sow. Some give and some go. So tonight, this morning, I had a meeting set up with Chris and Abby Connor. They're a precious couple that have worked on staff at a church up in Inverness, and she can tell you more details about all that. But they felt the call of the Lord to go on the mission field, and they are in the process of raising funds. So this morning, when I was talking to Leah early this morning, I just was praying and felt the Holy Spirit say, you need to have Abby come and share about their mission tonight and what it is they're doing. And and here's what the Lord told me. And we have a good crowd tonight, and I'm going to have you get your wallets and checkbooks out at the end. Because I told you when I came here six, almost six years ago that I would present to you as a church good soil for you to sow into. And the soil, the condition of the soil that we sow our seed into, it's done in faith, but the condition of the soil is equally as important as the conditions of rain and things being watered. And all those things have to be in line. So I always told you that I'd put good soil in front of you because how many know that you can't outgive God? You can't do it. So I, I, I not only want to introduce Abby and have her share about her ministry tonight and then take up an offering at the end that I believe will help reach souls of where they're going in Africa and the work that they're doing and the things that they're doing, but also just bring to remembrance to continually pray for them, continually pray for our missionaries that we support monthly, and to continually remember to make a special offering. If you can every month and things are kind of tight, when the Lord lays it on your heart, Put that in the offering box. Write on it who it's for, which one of our missionaries, Brother Julius Marar. I remember remember Brother Julius being here last year, and he found that lost tribe, I believe it was of Benjamin. And they went in, and those people were all ready to just do literally a mass suicide. And they came along as missionaries and preached the word of God to them, and this whole tribe gets saved. And we poured into building them a church, thousands of dollars last year, that we were able to send with Brother Marar. He's going to come back in May, and he's going to give us a report on how things are going. And uh, with that being said, I want to introduce Abby Connor. Abby, if you would come, we want you to share about what you guys are doing, and we're so delighted to have you with us. Here's the water bottle. How are you guys doing? Good. Um, I just want to say, I'm getting over a cold, first of all, forgive me, but I just want to say that in my line of work, I sit down and I meet with a lot of pastors. 
And you guys are truly blessed. Jason and Leah are a very special couple. Um, Leah is one of the hardest working women I've ever met. She never stops. Just, I know she's back there with those kids, but I just want to honor her even though she's not in here. Just a woman of God. <clears throat> and... Pastor Jason, to have a pastor that is missional, that wants to see you guys equipped for the ministry for yourselves, that is burning for revival, that prays for you in the way that he does is just really a blessing. So I want to tell you as an outsider how lucky you are, okay? <laughs> but So um, we got connected with this house maybe four years ago. Corey Ball is one of my best, best friends. We went to the Ramp School of Ministry together. And Corey's come up here a couple of times, and he's ministered, and you guys are going to Camp Impact, your youth is. Um, I might be there. If, I, don't, I don't know. We'll see. But um, we, I, I love this house, and I know that what you're providing to this area spiritually is essential and important. So I'm just really honored to be standing in front of you guys. Um, but I'm Abby Connor. My husband is Chris Connor. If you want to put up that picture of us standing in front of the trucks, you guys know how cute he is. Yeah. <clears throat> Isn't he adorable? Um, he actually couldn't be here tonight. He, he had a commitment to Corey, so he's ministering with him at Calvary tonight, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> but we, um, when we graduated from the Ramp School of Ministry, we felt the call of God to come to Florida. I, y'all, I mean, I grew up in Alabama. I had never been here, but we followed the voice of the Holy Spirit, and we served as youth as children's pastors at a church of God in Inverness for almost three years, and it was a wonderful, wonderful season. Like, we loved it. We learned so much, but the Lord got a grip of our hearts. Um, when we were at the ramp, I remember laying on my face and crying out for the nations. I remember hearing that there were literally people like in these, in these regions of the earth that had never, ever, ever heard the name of Jesus and would not hear it otherwise if someone was unwilling to do what it takes and take the risk and to go to those people. And I remember two friends of mine that, um, had just like they had just finished their training they were with the organization we're with now they came and they stayed at my home for a week and they just talked to me about their life and my friend Zach he just looked at me and he was like did you know that 42% of the planet has never heard the name of Jesus and I was like um no I didn't know that and like all of a sudden my life just didn't make sense I was like what am I doing like, really, <laughs> like, I'm burning to preach the gospel. I have a burden for the lost. I am obsessed with the presence of Jesus. And I want to see people's lives transformed by the power of God. I'm young and I'm capable. Why am I still here? You know, like, what, why am I not contributing to that? And so then I looked at my husband and I was like, babe. And he was like, babe. And like, we <laughs> went to bed that night, fasted, made sure that we weren't just making a decision like that was emotional. We wanted to make sure it was really the will of God for our life. And we ended up finding Overland Missions because I wanted to find a missions organization that was unapologetically proclaiming the kingdom of God in places where it has not yet been proclaimed. I did not want to go where other people have gone and done work. I wanted to go where nobody else was going, where it was difficult to get to, where people would, if I didn't go, would not otherwise hear the name of Jesus. You know, Paul talks about that in Romans 15. And I want to read this to you because I read this everywhere I go because some of this is for you. And part of this is my promise. This is what I do. So Romans 15, and I'm going to go down, excuse me. Romans fifteen fourteen, and I want to read this because, you know, when I was growing up, um, my idea of what a missionary was, was like the, like, cute girl that, like, went to, like, the same village in, like, Mexico and, like, had chacos and braids and, like, painted a school. Like, to me, like, that was missions. And so I didn't, like, I don't know, I just didn't have a, a good idea of what it is. But this is missions, and this is what it means to be missionary, and this is what I do. So Paul is talking here of a church in Rome, and he says, I myself am convinced, brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness. It's all you guys. 
filled with knowledge and competent to instruct one another. Yet I have written to you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again because of the grace that God has given me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. He gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God and sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished in me in leading the Gentiles to obey God and what I have said and done. And this is the money right here. By the power of signs and wonders, through the power of the Spirit of God. So from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ is not known. So that I would not be building on another foundation. Because it is written, those that were not told about him will see. And those who have not heard will understand. And then he kind of follows out. He's like, and that's why I haven't come to you. I've been busy. And I read that scripture. My husband and I both did. And I was like, honey, we have to do this. There's just, there's just no other option. And so we found Overland. Overland said, that's what we're doing. We're preaching the gospel where it has not been proclaimed. We are doing work in the Middle East, in communist nations in in Southeast Asia, and the unreached tribes of sub-Saharan South Africa, and along the indigenous tribes along the Amazon in Brazil. Where do you want to go? And um, (laughs) I'll explain kind of what kind of how that unfolded. So we sat down with our pastor, told him everything, and he was like, "Well, I knew I was eventually going to lose you to something like this." He was not surprised. He was gladly like, gladly like, "Yep, go run as fast as you can." And in April of last year, we sold everything we owned. We left our home behind um, and said, we're like, we're following the treasure in the field. We got the funds in like six days. It was the craziest thing. It was so crazy. And left and we moved uh, to Zambia, Africa. We were there for three months with Overland Missions. We lived in a tent. I think there's a picture of the trucks and the tents that we like lived out of. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. That's not great, but we just literally trekked across sub-Saharan South Africa and these massive military trucks given to us by the Dutch military, lived in tents, pooped in holes, killed our food, like really just rugged, like stayed with the locals um, and proclaimed the gospel where it, hasn't been, where it hasn't been proclaimed. I sat with witch doctors. I sat with people that are bound, like demonically oppressed. I saw people delivered of demons like almost every day. I saw blind eyes open. I saw deaf ears open. Like really, like not because I'm special, but because I said yes. And because I have a solid understanding of my identity in Christ. And I know that for anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. And I lack nothing. Therefore, they lack nothing. And the only difference between me and them is that I heard the news first. And so... I was like, well, so you mean to tell me that the only thing I have to do to let these people know what I know is I have to, like, just be uncomfortable? Like, I just have to live in a tent and, like, eat weird food? Like, and just go? Like, that's it? And so I did that because <laughs> Jesus is faithful and the Holy Spirit is, like, is energizes you. It's so, it's just so unreal. And so for three months, we just learned what it looks like. We trained. So we did that half the time. And then the other half of the time, we were um, living on the Rapid 14 base, training with missionaries who have been doing this for 20 years or more on, like, we did, like, medical classes and diesel mechanics and a lot of, like, practical ins and outs for what it means to be a full-time missionary and how to sustain ministry for a long time. Um, Because... I think something I was so passionate about was, you know, why do people like, say for instance, like go to Pakistan for two weeks, hold a crusade, all these people give their life to Jesus and then they fly home. You know, I was like, who's, who's discipling them? Who's walking with them? Because if no one walks with them, they're just going to either syncretize their Christian faith with the Islamic belief and they're not going to be walking in a full revelation of Jesus or they're just going to like completely abandon this, you know, or they're going to try and figure it out on their own and, and, and they're not going to, you know, who, who's walking with them. And I said, I want to be a part of an organization who is walking with people. And that's all we do. You know, like our model of discipleship is we come into these places and we 
like for the first time, like when we're like we're a pioneering ministry, we just go to every single house in the village, no matter how long that takes, and we preach the full gospel to everyone, you know. And we'll hold these massive soccer soccer games that turn into these mapped, massive like baptism services because people have become so convinced of like the reality of who Jesus is, and they're genuinely making a decision for for Christ. And like, yes, we're fixing wells, and we are addressing medical needs, and we're praying for the sick. But more than anything, we're giving them the bread that they need, and that is the gospel of Jesus, you know, like that's the focus, that's the emphasis. And then, um, if we like, if like the Western missionaries, like if we leave, there's always a full-time overland missionary that is going to go to that village at least once a week until it, just until. And what they do is they go, they go once a week and then they find a local, like an, an indigenous disciple that shows like leadership capabilities. And they say, you, you walk with me, learn how to lead. And we train up indigenous disciples and we show them like how to lead the Bible studies, how to evangelize, how to walk everyone in their village through becoming mature Christians, confident in their faith. And it just grows and it grows and it grows and you reach the next place and the next place and the next place because we believe that the people that bring a nation into revival are the people from that place. And so we just give them the tools that they need to bring that nation into revival. And so Overland, the work that I'm doing... um, we are taking that model right there of raising up local leaders in 17 different countries. So we have 64 bases with, we have just under 300 missionaries, um, three countries in Southeast Asia that are closed communist nations. And we are seeing revival. We're holding a crusade in a country I can't even name over the live stream in two weeks. We have missionaries in five countries in the Middle East. We're looking to launch more, and we are literally seeing revival. We are seeing house churches explode. We're seeing men and women leave the Islamic faith and say, Jesus is king, and I want to follow him, and I don't care if I have to leave my family behind because I am as convinced as you are that I will lack nothing in him, and I am a new creation in Christ. And the God that created the ground that I'm standing on did die to, did send his son to die so that I could have a relationship with him, and I cannot continue on believing these things that I've been taught. Jesus truly is the way the truth, and the life. It's incredible. Um, Thank you. (laughs) Um, Six months ago, and Jason, it was so cool because I sat with Jason and Leah six months ago, like literally days before this event happened, and now I get to talk to you about what happened. So six months ago, we held an event that, um, and 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 I'm going to say everything we're about to say, and it's going to be like, wow, that's so impressive. But I just want to preface it with, our organization is made up of ordinary people who said yes and offered the Holy Spirit our lives as a blank canvas and then he painted what he wanted to do and then it happened because he painted it. Because if you just offer your life to the Lord as a blank canvas and you just let him show you what to do instead of like offering him your idea and asking him to accompany your wisdom, I'm telling you, uh, hello. Like I said yes to this, like as a youth pastor and a waitress at Outback Steakhouse. And now I'm doing things I literally never thought I would do. Okay. So anyways, six months ago, um, Phil Smethurst, he founded Overland Missions 20 years ago. He's South African, um, man of God. He runs with giants. Um, Anyways, 15 years ago, while we were in Zambia, Zambia is just one of the African nations that we do ministry in. It's just the the nation we've been doing ministry in the longest. And what we're seeing in Zambia now, we fully anticipate to see in the countries that the other 16 countries were in. But he decided that authority and leadership comes from the Lord, right? Like it says that in the Bible, like leadership is established by God. And if you could get a chief saved, full of the Holy Spirit and obedient to the Lord, you've just effectively transformed 10 to 12 villages. Because instead of just coming into these villages and getting these people saved and like just pumped up, like excited for the things of God. And then they bring that before their chief, but their chief rejects what they've been taught. How likely is it that they're going to continue to follow the Lord? You know? And so chiefs in Zambia, there's 288 chiefs in Zambia. And as of last year, Overland Missions is directly and personally discipling 284 of them. Yeah. (laughs) It's crazy. 
Um, these men are historically very difficult to get to. Okay, they're demonically oppressed. They have several wives. They, when you come to their palaces, you're required to bring gifts, and you have to clap and roll on the ground, and you have to go through the traditional honoring, and they make you wait four hours outside of the palace. So, like you know, like they make sure that you know, like I'm the chief, and you're you're the makua, like you're the foreigner, like you know, it's very hard to minister to these men. But Overland said, you know what, whatever it takes, we have a word from the Lord and we're not giving up on these men. And we began establishing brotherhoods with these men and we began raising up chaplains, which are Zambians, which are locals, because we really believe in indigenous discipleship. Because in the Old Testament, the kings had prophets that would accompany them and they would advise them. And so we kind of took that model and said, let's just do that in Zambia, you know, like there's kingdoms here, like sure. And... um, We've trained up over 200 chiefs, and those are the men that are advising and discipling those chiefs, because we don't have enough Western missionaries to do that, you know? Um, So these men advise these chiefs, and it's incredible. We are seeing witchcraft and child brides and things just fall at the name of Jesus. We are seeing these traditional leaders say, you know what? Jesus is indeed chief of chiefs, you know? He is king of kings, and we're going to do things his way. And we are going to lead, we're going to be servant leaders, which really in a, in a, uh, excuse me, like in a culture where status orientation is a very big deal and bloodline is heavily, heavily emphasized to have a, a chief say, I'm going to be a servant leader because I'm in the bloodline of Jesus is really, really a miracle. It's really incredible. It's that mystery of salvation that Paul talks about that we get to partake in that is just really beautiful. So six months ago. Phil said, I'm going to have an event, like celebrating the success of this. You know, I'm going to get all the chiefs together, which had never happened in the history of Zambia. We're going to get together on Lusaka, Zambia. We're going to have it. It's going to be the King of Kings event. We're going to worship the Lord. We're going to maybe establish a couple political standards. The president of Zambia has a relationship with my leader. And um, whenever he needs something done with the chiefs, he calls my boss. He calls Phil. Because <laughs> the missions organization has a better relationship with these traditional leaders than the government does. And, I mean, when you come in and you establish the kingdom of God, because we are designed to rule and reign in the earth, that's what it looks like. I mean, when you have established the kingdom of God in a place, government and political structures bow to the standards of the kingdom of God. And we are seeing that in Zambia. And I, and I want to see that in America. And Okay, so <clears throat> um, we start gathering this event. We start organizing it. And a king in Congo hears about what we're doing. And this king had had relationship with, he had met overland missionaries before. And he said, wait a minute, you're all getting together. It is a king event. I am a king. I'm coming to this event. <laughs> and um, and uh, Phil, you know, he was kind of like, yeah, sure. Like, okay. Um, and even to bring just one king into Zambia requires, I mean, it was like 30 grand just to bring him in for three days, like hotels and food and flights. And you have to alert the department of defense. You have to get a escort from the airport. It just, it's like a whole, whole thing. Okay. To bring one king into Zambia. But Phil said, you know what? Jesus is worthy. And if I can get that king saved, I have just transformed literally an entire nation. I mean, literally, but like the Lord's on it. Let's do it. And so Phil said, says, this king can come, absolutely. This king says, can I invite my friends? Phil says, who are your friends? And in his head, he's like, this is going to get expensive. And and this this king of Congo is the director of FATA, which is the Federal Association for Traditional Authorities. And really, 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 really long story short, because I can't even get into the incredible testimony that this is, um, 52 kings and queens from 36 different countries, including closed Muslim nations, and over 200 chiefs of Zambia came to our event in Lusaka, Zambia, six months ago. It was the largest gathering of traditional leadership in the history of the continent of Africa. That many leaders had never been in one place. Thank you. Sorry. It's not because 
like anyone was born into royal status and like had these connections already and like had a knack for these things. Okay. It's because a group of like ragtag Western missionaries said, here's my life as a blank canvas. I'll do what it takes and I'll have the faith for it. And if Lord, if you want to see revival at this level, I'll carry it for you. But this also took 15 years of waiting in palaces for six hours and being disrespected and rolling on the ground and coming and bringing money to these leaders that were corrupt. You know, it took 15 years of faithfulness in hard, impossible ground. And look what happens when you're faithful to impossible ground for 15 years. So this event transpires. We literally see the kings, like I, I can't even name the countries that they're from, literally give their life to Jesus. We gave them all a Bible with their name transcribed on it. And these kings are saying that Jesus is king of kings and lord of lords. And I want the kingdom of God established in my nation. Overland missions, can you please come? And we literally don't have enough missionaries to send. Like we, like we, Like the harvest is that ripe, you guys, that we have... Like world leaders that are saying, yeah, actually, can you come do a chief chaplaincy program in Uganda, Ethiopia, Burkina Faso, South Sudan, Cameroon, Ethiopia, um, like just Somalia, like just literally um, Angola, Botswana, like all these places. They're like, please come, please come, please come. And we're like, yeah, we're coming as fast as we can. Um, and right now, like we're just in the middle, like we're scrambling to gather missionaries, train them up, get them funded and send them out. Um, uh, because we have got to train these chiefs. We have to, be, we have to honor the requests these Kings are giving us to be discipled because they literally want to serve Jesus. They just don't have anyone that can stay with them and show them how, um, it's incredible. <laughs> and so my husband and I, the specific role that we're going to be playing is actually my husband can write code and I have a knack for all things admin and like visas, immigration and things. So we are actually going to be in the world headquarters of Overland Missions as a whole, helping facilitate all of this. So all of the missionaries that we currently have, and we are trying to have a thousand missionaries by 2030 so that we can carry what God has asked us to carry. Um, we have to have logistics and structure in place to support a thousand missionaries. It just takes an astounding amount of legwork and like on the phone with like border patrol and visas and immigration. I mean, when you're going to countries where you're not legally supposed to preach the gospel, you have to get creative. Hello with securing their visas. And that's going to be part of my job of protecting them, making sure they do not get deported or arrested so that they can maintain their ministry in these places. And my husband and his ability to write code, there are not many people that know how to write code that are willing to go to the nations so he'll be managing the entire like back end of how we pay everybody how we process all of our donations how we we already have a coding team but it just kind of functions right now it really needs streamlining it really needs automating my husband can do that and so we said yes to joining the world headquarters which is actually in Cocoa Beach Florida so I'll be two hours down the road from you guys most of the time and then I'll spend the rest of my time overseas as the boots on the ground in these nations doing ministry but um with our skills it was just essential that we stayed in Cocoa Beach and said we will help you carry this because it's just so massive that we have to help logistically um and then yeah so that's just like anyways so thanks for letting me tell you about that um yeah thank you thank you um and even like Jason said earlier he was like put seed in good soil all these things I was so honored to hear that because like a year ago maybe a year and a half ago, I would not have considered myself as that. I was just dead in the water in ministry and struggling in every area of my life. You know what I mean? But Jesus said, Abby, like, do you love me? And will you do everything I tell you to do exactly as I tell you to do it? And I was like, yeah. (laughs) And then look at what I, and like, look at what the Lord has done. Truly, truly in my life. And I just, I was praying on the way here today but uh, just just before I wanted to share with you guys, and I just felt the Lord tell me so gently. He said, Abby, I need you to remind them that they lack nothing in me. And I just wanted to tell you that. I don't know if it's one person or if it's several of you in this room that need to be reminded that you are a new creation in Christ. Genuinely. And that every promise of heaven, everything that is in the word, it is not promised to you on the condition that you behave well. It is promised to you because you're a child of God. 
Because the seed of Adam was replaced by the seed of Christ. When you placed faith in the fact that the Son of God came down from heaven, died and rose again, and gave you the ability to become like him if you just believed in him. And I just feel like I needed to come in here and remind some of you, like, yes, these beautiful stories about the kings of Africa, that's incredible, that revival, whoa, are you kidding? But also for you right now in CCC, in Home Assassin, you need to know the power of your salvation and what you have in Christ, that you lack nothing. You do not lack. If you have sickness in your body, that is not your portion. That does not belong to you. You're not sick because you were in sin. God, like that, that's not a punishment that was not given to you. That is from hell, that he is Jehovah Rapha and that healing is your portion and that you can have full access to that if you believe in that. And I can telling you that because I saw scales fall out of people's eyes this summer. And I saw baby's legs grow out, okay? And it's not because I'm special. It's just because I know what Christ accomplished in me. And I am so confident. I am so persuaded. I am so convinced that nothing else in my life makes sense except for the gospel of Christ Jesus. You know, Paul talks about, I can't boast in anything but this. Yeah, that's how I feel. Like, I, none of like my stupid accomplishments or my degree or like what, what, whatever, none of it matters outside of what Christ accomplished in me. And I just want to remind some of you that any like mental illness, any sort of feeling of being a victim, you know what? I'm just going to, I'm just going to talk about this for a second. I feel like I need to talk about this for a second. You are not a victim if you are in Jesus. You are not a victim of anything. All of that died when he died and when you died with him and rose again with him in the waters of baptism. Come on. The mentality that you were defeated, that you're not enough, that people don't like you, that you're going to be stuck in that situation forever, that you're always going to experience like, or you're always going to be tired, or you're always going to be hurt, all that stuff, da, 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 da. It's a lie from the pit of hell because you are a new creation in Christ. I just cannot, I cannot get away from that. I cannot emphasize that enough. That everything that he gave you, everything you needed for life and godliness. And furthermore, Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians 5. And I feel like I need to say this to you. I don't know. I'm just with the Holy Ghost now. So bear with me. But, you know, Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 5 that you are ministers of reconciliation. Okay? Everywhere that your little feet go. All right? What's the store? What's the grocery store around here? Walmart? Publix. Praise God. Everywhere. Publix. Every restaurant. Everywhere your little feet go. You are a minister of reconciliation. You are the place. Okay, not everybody in this county is saved. Not everybody in Home Assassin knows Jesus, right? Like, I have the privilege of getting to facilitate people hearing about Jesus for the first time in these unreached nations where it's illegal and it's complicated. But you guys get to look face-to-face with people in Home Assassin that, you know, got one tooth and... Like, don't know the Lord. Hello? Hello? You have the privilege of letting those people know. Did you know that the God that created the ground that you're standing on made a way for you to have a relationship with him and you can lack nothing? Did you know? And also, I'm going to walk with you. We're going to start in the book of John. Pray with me. You know, it's very simple. It's very simple. It's wonderful. Oh, man. And like... I feel like I even just want to talk about how like simple evangelism is, you know, like that's my, that's my whole, that's my whole job, right? Like that's what I do. Like I'm, I'm a missionary, sure, sure, sure. But you're all missionaries. International missions is not like reserved for this like elite group of believers. Okay. It's like, do you want to go? Great. Get funded, pack your bag, get on the plane, you know, but if you can't get on the plane and if you can't pack a bag, that's fine. Do it in Homosassa. Like this church, from what I understand, Leo was telling me you guys don't like barely have enough seats on Sunday mornings. Hallelujah, man! Like Lord, let this place just grow because there are thousands of people in this county, you know, and like they need to be discipled. And Jason Hanks cannot disciple all of these people, you know. Like you guys have got to hold on to the conviction that you are capable. Just like when Romans fifteen, Paul says. I'm a rooted again. I myself am convinced, brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. Like you have everything you need to instruct other people. And if you feel like you don't, we'll just get in the word a little bit more. Grab onto the truths that are provided for you through the Holy Ghost. Man, Paul talks about this in Philippians. I love, man, he was like talking about how I have every reason to boast. And he did. He was very well educated. Like, 
He was obviously gifted in rhetoric. Your boy wrote most of the New Testament, but he had, he said, I have every reason to boast, but I, it's rubbish compared to the knowledge of Christ. Garbage. Amen. He called, you know, 30 some odd years of, of training garbage compared to the knowledge of Christ. And you have access to that. You have full access to that 100% of the time. Not on Sundays, not on Wednesdays. Hallelujah that we are allowed legally to gather on Sundays and Wednesdays as burning ones and burn together and minister to one another and lay hands on one another and encourage one another and edify the body and equip the saints. Hallelujah. I love that. I love church. But you have access to the knowledge of Christ all the time. You know, like I'm praying in tongues when I'm washing dishes and when I'm driving in my car and when I'm folding my husband's laundry because he won't do it. And I'm mad at him. I pray in the Holy ghost because I don't have time. Like I don't have time to be mad at my husband. We have too much to do. Mm-mm. We got work to do. People are dying, going to hell, you know? And like, I got man, like my time on earth is like this big. Like, our time here is this big. I'm sorry, Jason. I feel like I'm just rambling, but bear with me here. Forget the notes. I really don't. I actually don't have notes. Um, I pretend like I do, but I never do. Um, like, our time here is this short, right? And it's like, oh, and, and some of you in here are young like me. I'm 24. And, like, you know, <laughs> and it's like, Wow, I I can't imagine getting to the end of my life, you know, and like looking at the lover of my soul, looking at Jesus Christ and being like, this is what I did. Like I got a great job and I bought a house and I had kids and that's wonderful. Please do that. Children are a blessing. Like, please, please, please. I'm not saying it's bad. And I, you know, that was pretty much, and I went to church on Sundays and it was great. And he's like, oh, Abby, I had bigger plans. You know, like I, we could have done so much more, but you just like kind of settled for like what the world had, like this plan the world had to offer to you, but there was more and, oh, that's wonderful. Anyway, but, oh, but what I was saying earlier about like you guys here in Homosassa, like you get to minister. Okay. I just had something. The Lord just gave me up an analogy. Can you guys, can you guys listen to my analogy? Okay. What is like a body of water around here that people like swim at? Like. The springs? Oh, the powder springs? Hunter springs? Oh, oh, you guys have manatees over here. Okay, okay, okay. So if I told you, like, I'm like tonight, like right now, I was like, okay, guys, this is what international missions is like. It's all coming to me now. So bear with me as I just relay this to you. This is the Lord showing me this. This is what it was like when I got to Africa, okay? So if I told you, hey, there is a completely unreached tribe at the end of the river in Hunter Springs, okay? It's just six hours by canoe, and the water's full of, like, crocodiles. That's real in Africa. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> um, alligators and <clears throat> algae. They'll, like, burn your skin. No big deal, though. You'll be in a canoe. Six hours by canoe. Um, get there. And I told you, like, what are you going to do about it? And you were like, oh, my gosh. They've never heard the name of Jesus. Well, me, as a Christian person, I have a burden for the lost, obviously. That's part of the part of the package, you know. And... You say, I'll do it. And so you get in the canoe, okay? And of course, the person driving the canoe, all right, is like just like a local, and he's drunk, all right? Like, this is really what it's like to do international missions sometimes. And you get, like, your, and your guide to get you to the unreached, we're going to call it Pearl Island, is drunk, and you're like, it's okay, I'll do it. And so you get in the canoe, and you're, like, happy, and you got your Bible, and, like, maybe you're taking a couple pictures, like, on the way to Pearl Island with my local guide here. Like, oh, so cool. And you arrive to the island, and, like, every like you get there, <laughs> and you're just shocked, because everyone on the island, they only wear, like, onesies, okay? And they only wear Crocs, and they only drink, what's, like, a gross drink around here that's, like, kind of local to here, like... Huh? They only drink sweet tea. Like these folks have never had water in their life. Okay. And 
you're shocked. You like get there and you're like, oh my gosh, like what are they wearing? Like, oh man, like other people in Florida don't dress like this. They don't dress like this where I'm from. They don't drink that where I'm from. And they're okay, they've never heard the name of Jesus. And you get there and then there's this like massive brass statue in the middle of the island and they worship the statue. And it's like, um, it's like a fishing pole, right? Cause that's how they, that's their provision. They fish and you know, so they, there's this massive brass statue. There's money at the statue. They worship it. They only drink like thick sweet tea. They only wear Crocs. They only wear onesies. And you can barely understand a word that you're saying. And you're like, well, I'm setting up camp. And that's what you do, you know? And you set up camp. And you don't like immediately storm in like, have you ever heard about Jesus? I'm talking about Jesus right now. No. Like, no. Like, humans want to have relationship. Like, we, we want to connect. We want to tell stories. You want to feel understood. And so like when you're preaching the gospel to someone and you're like evangelizing with someone, like, okay, like you don't feel the pressure like right there in the parking lot to be like, where are you going when you die? (laughs) You don't have to do that. You know, I mean, you can, but and so you, and you sit and you eat dinner with them and you're like, so why the statue? Why the Crocs, you know? Like, why the, why the four locos? Like, you know, like why, you know? And you're just asking. And the whole time, like, you're, you're listening to the Holy Spirit the entire time. And you're like understanding, okay, like, from their worldview, from their perspective, like, how can I present the gospel to them in a way that will land? And I think sometimes as Christians, we underestimate the power of just the story. Hello? Like, the gospel in and of itself, in its purity, the reality of what Christ accomplished is powerful enough. You don't have to add much to it. You just have to be convinced of the power of it. You know? Like, you have got to have a conviction that a, like a, like a truly powerful presentation of the realities of God is enough to transform somebody. And if you don't have faith for that, I don't know. Talk to the Lord about that. You know, like, really, like, you have to know, like... Presenting the gospel in love and in compassion is enough to change someone's life. I promise I do it for a living. You know, like really, it's, it's that simple. I mean, gosh, just two weeks ago, I was sitting with a young man that my husband's brother's roommate, you know, and he's, he's abandoned the faith. He's an atheist now. He's very proud. And these, these boys, they were drunk, they were stoned and we were staying at their apartment because we were presenting at a church. This is like up in Virginia. And that was our host home for the week. Okay. <laughs> They didn't know what they got themselves into. And, um, yeah. And they tried to clean the house up real good because they know we're missionaries and they tried to hide the weed smell, but I spent most of my adolescence acting a fool. So I was like, hello, you can't, you can't hide that from me. And, um, we get there and by like day three, I figured this would happen eventually. He starts like, and I'll, I'll finish for local Pearl Island in a minute, but I want to tell you this too. So <clears throat> he, um, he starts telling me, because he's under the influence. He's feeling vulnerable. He's like, yeah, I'll tell you why I don't believe in that God stuff anymore. And he dives into this like ridiculous anecdote about uh, like a scripture in Ezekiel that he read in like one translation. And then it was like different in another translation. And, you know, like how can they be two different meanings and two different translations? And, and like the scripture was about God, like... Um, handing the nation of Israel over to a law that they could never fulfill. You know, it was about, I gave you these statutes and I knew that you could never like reach, you know, reach, reach up to these. And he was like, what kind of like narcissistic God would like make you like follow a law that you can't even like follow. Like, that's why I don't do this religion stuff anymore because I was like, so narcissistic, like, what do you mean I can never be good enough for you? Like, so anyway, that's how I felt growing up in church. And so I don't do the church stuff anymore. And I had the wonderful opportunity of telling him, like, bud, that's, like, why Jesus came, my guy. Like, the old covenant and the new covenant. Like, this is like this is the reason right now. Like, yes, all of these laws were only put in place to show us that without the seed of Adam being replaced by the seed of Christ, we could never achieve righteousness. And righteousness is not a behavior. Righteousness is an identity. Righteousness is a status. Righteousness is, okay, I'm standing here. This is the presence of God. I belong here. 
Like that's righteousness, you know? I'm like, it's not like you're so great and or I'm so great and you're so not because I follow the rules in this book. That's ridiculous. It's because the seed of Adam was replaced by the seed of Christ and I now look like him. Because when I, because I can't, oh man, I can't achieve righteousness in my own effort. I have to look like him. I have to become like him. I have to become a new creation. I have to take on the identity of Christ. And I, you know, anyway, and so I had the, per, I, I got to tell him all this stuff and, and I've got my Bible with me and he's, and he's looking at my Bible and there are tears streaming down his face. And he's like, you have so many notes in here. And I was like, yeah, baby, this is my life. Like, like this Bible has sat open with me as I've ministered to witch doctors and seen witchcraft dismantled over an entire region all at once. This Bible has sat in my lap when I have sat with people who have lost their children and I've seen hope restored into their eyes because they came to know, they came to the knowledge of Christ. And he was like, I don't think I ever knew him. And I was like, I don't think so either. (laughs) Let's talk about it. And that boy gave his life to Jesus. That boy, while he was drunk, mind you. Okay, hello. And I'm telling you, and he was completely transformed. It was two weeks ago. And... And I, and I, and and I walk with him. My husband's going to call him. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, I can't just like leave him to his own devices because he's in Virginia and I'm in Florida. That's ridiculous. I'm finding him a healthy church to plug into. I'm, you know, I'm going to talk to the pastor on his behalf. You know, like there's, you know, there's like a whole, anyway. And so when you get to this island, like I was talking about earlier, And you're asking the questions. It's kind of like how I was with this young man. Because I did. I, I entertained his like stupidness for a little bit. I did. I was like, so why this? And why the flag? And why, you know, this belief? Because he's like trying to talk to me about he's a Buddhist now. And I was like, okay, so why this? And why self-actualization? Blah, blah, blah. I'm not that smart. I don't know how to argue with that stuff. I just know who Christ is and who Christ is in me. Anyway, <laughs> you get to the island and you just go to bed. You're like, I'm going to leave it. I'm going to leave the brass statue and uh, the four loco and the sweet tea. I'm just going to leave it. But tomorrow we'll talk about it because I'm not from here. So they're going to want to know why I'm here. You wake up, you get everybody around the fire, and you just tell the story. Like, start to finish. You start in creation, you know. And you just tell these folks. And you tell these folks in Homo Sasso, okay. You tell a homeless person that you're, like, actually annoyed by. Maybe go talk to them. You know, hello. Like, Jesus died for them. And you sit down and you say... Did you know that the God that created the ground that you're sitting on made a way for you? And you just go from there. And you do it in genuine compassion and genuine brokenness. And you come from this place and this conviction and this convincing that, like, listen, nothing else in life makes sense except having a relationship with Jesus. Nothing. Like, I could have got up here and I could have talked to you about prayer and I could have talked to you about, you know, I don't know. Like, more testimonies and more stories. More, I, got, I got more stories than, than I can even tell you. Actually, I'll tell you one real quick. It's funny. I just remembered this. When we were in the Nyawa chiefdom, this is just funny. This is just something, you, just so you know. We were in the Nyawa chiefdom, and we were dropping off one of our co-ministers who, um, like, they translate for us, but we disciple them through them translating because they kind of learn how to preach the gospel just by translating for us. You know, it's very simple. And um, we were dropping him off, and all the kids, there's like 150 kids just running, just running around. All the village kids are together. And I'm like, why are all of these kids, like, here right now? Like, we're all together in one place. And I see um, these two men, okay, and like, in the get-up, okay? I don't know how else to describe it. Like, these massive, like, really, really, really tall headdresses with, like, the really scary, like, wooden painted. You've probably seen it in a textbook or something. Like, when you've seen Africa, and they're in, like, the... the they've, they've sewn themselves into, like, goatskin leggings, and, like, they've got the bells and the straw. They're, like, shirtless, and they're painted, and they're, they're terrorizing the kids. They're chasing them, and the kids just go, ah! Like, it's almost like tag. And I thought it was fun. Like, I thought they were, like, clowns, you know? Because I didn't really understand anyway um but one of them comes up slaps my butt like as hard as he can and I was like oh my gosh I was like what just happened and my husband didn't see you know and it's like we get in the car and I'm just laughing I told our Zambian like like other co-minister who was driving what happened and he was like oh the Makishi touched you and I was like yeah like, what happens? You know, like, yeah, the Makishi touched me. I don't know. I thought he was greeting me. He was like, oh, well, actually, 
the lore with those guys is they leave their families behind, like as young men, um, like 11 or 12, and they just disappear, like deeper into the bush. And they like circumcise each other as adults, and they like just learn, they just learn witchcraft. They just like uh, devote themselves to these spells and these curses and like human sacrifices and like crazy guys, okay? I was like, what? And, um, and they sew themselves into those leggings, and they don't take them off. And they literally, what they do is they come into the villages demanding gifts, because the lore is that if a makishi touches you, you'll be infertile. So you don't want to be touched. You don't want to be tagged. Because in Africa, infertility is, like, seriously, like, a curse. Like, it's because children are a blessing. Like, you can, it's, like, all these things. And so I was like, oh, okay, you tried to curse me? Okay, well, I didn't take it personal. And obviously, I'm like, the blood of Jesus courses through my veins. Like, that stuff, like, that has no power on me, you know? Um, there's no way. And I had the privilege, the very next day, we were doing kids ministry. And, like, pretty much all 150 of those kids were, like, at the kids ministry. And I got to tell them. I was like, Jesus is more powerful than the Makishi. And they were like, oh, what does she know? Because they thought I didn't understand. Do you know what I mean? They thought I didn't get it. They thought I was just coming as the Makua with this foreign message. And I didn't get it, but I did. And I got to tell them, Jesus is more powerful than the Makishi. There's no fear. You are grafted into the bloodline of Christ. And nothing can curse you and nothing can touch you. Because the blood of Jesus can course through your veins. And, the, and seriously, and we taught those kids how to pray. Like, those kids gave their lives to Jesus. And I'll never forget one of the coolest moments, oh, just ever, one of the little girls that um, I prayed for, she ends up, and I can tell she's been baptized in the Holy Spirit, because the, that sounds the same in English, Tonga, Arabic, Kamai, like, you know what's going on, you know what I'm saying, and so this little girl, like, she gets baptized in the Holy Spirit, it's beautiful, she's weeping, and I motioned for her to put her hands on my head, and I was like, pray for me, and this little girl literally lays her hands on me, and she prays in the Spirit, while she's just oh my gosh and I just feel the anointing of the Holy Spirit come over me and I just feel the love of God like washing over me in waves and I just had this incredible moment where I was like this little girl got saved 10 minutes ago you know and here she is in 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 the fullness of the power of the Holy Spirit with her hands on my head and I can feel the anointing you know that's incredible I mean there was another one more story and I mean, there was another time we were, um, our team, they were in, they were in hospitals praying for hospitals. And there was this guy that was outside of the hospital was just like, just, just demoniac, just yelling, just causing trouble. They come, this guy, they have a conversation with him. He starts to manifest, which was pretty typical. They would cast that thing out of him, just dealt with it, like took authority over the manifestation because we don't even waste time with like, um, these, you know, like spirits trying to get attention and literally Gets a demon cast out of him, gets saved, gets full of Holy Spirit, like, takes like 30 minutes, you know, this whole situation, like, he understands the gospel, and I, guys, I just, this is the Lord, I don't know, this might even challenge someone's theology, but literally like, Within five minutes of him being delivered of a demon and him receiving the fullness of the Holy Spirit, he was like, should we be praying for these people in the hospital? Like, he asked the missionaries if we should be praying for the sick. And we were like, um, yeah, we should. And I actually wasn't in this circle of people. This is a testimony. Of, like, we were all in a chiefdom, and we were going out in groups of three. But this this team, like, I was in a, like, you know... 30 minutes over, but they literally went into the hospital and this guy is laying hands on the sick and seeing them recover. And he is like evangelizing and telling everybody they need to get saved. And it's just like the craziest thing. And then like, okay, one more. I just want to increase your faith. I just, I just really want you to, I want, I want you to walk away from tonight knowing that there's nothing significant about Abby Connor other than the fact that she knows who she is in Christ and she's convinced that she is convinced that she is convinced that the power of the Holy Spirit is for everyone. It's for you. It's for Homosassa. Like I want you to get crazy like this in Homosassa. Hello, because I can't do it. I would if I could, but I can't. And Jason Hanks can't do it by himself. Hello. Like I need you guys to do this. Okay. And so, um, there was one time we were walking home. We had been ministering all day and, um, I needed to make dinner because the head men were coming to, um, our camp and we were going to be ministering to the leaders of just the village. Um, 
And I had to go make traditional Zambian food. And I was, like, nervous because I was like, I don't know how to make traditional Zambian food. Um, but our translators were like, I'll, I'll show you. And they did. And before I knew it, I was cutting the heads off of roosters. But anyway, so, y'all, like, I had never done that before. Some of you in here hunt. Like, that's, that's like, fine for you. But, honey, like, I, mm-mm, Tyson, all the way. Like, I don't, I've never killed a chicken. Anyway, so um, we're walking home, and I'm nervous about this food, you know. And this, like, teenage boy runs up to us, and he was like, hey, you were the Makua. And we're like, yeah, Makua means white person. And um, he's like, you're the Makua. We're like, yes, that's, yes, that's who we are. And he's like, you're here, you're t- telling people about the Holy Spirit? And we're like, yeah. He's like, what is that? Because, you know, Africans are deeply spiritual. Everything is spirit. Every illness, you know, um, every issue, like all, the, it's all spirit. Like here in the West, we're more rational. And I think that's why maybe like sometimes people struggle more with like, the signs and wonders aspect of the Christian faith, because like some people want an explanation, but like, uh, it's just, it is what it is. It's just spirit, you know? Anyway. <clears throat> and so I said, okay, I'll, you know, walk with us. And he said, no, I need you to come to my house. I need you to tell my family too. We were like, you know what? Yeah. Like, sure. Like, it's why we're here. Like, sure, sure, sure. Then we can wait. No big deal. And I was like, well, where's your house? And he goes, ah, just there. And when a Zambian man says something is just there, it is not. <laughs> like, it, like maybe to him, <laughs> but for me, <laughs> it's like a two hour walk minimum. Okay. And whatever. And I'm like, Jesus is worthy. Let's go. And so we walk with him. I'm talking with him. My husband's talking with him. Like he literally like full, like I said, we, we preach the full gospel. And when I say that, I mean to say that we start with the story of creation and we just give the whole narrative and we build anticipation for the person of Jesus. And we explain like all the stuff and the seed of Adam and the seed of Christ. And we really emphasize new creation. We really emphasize like you know, you're not just like making a decision for Jesus, but you're making a commitment now to become a completely new person. Like Christianity is not like a, just a trend. It's not just like a white person thing. Like it is, it's, it is for you and it's to transform you, to transform your community. We always emphasize that. And so he gives his life to Christ. We get to his family's home and we talk to his family for like two hours, like sun setting. I'm for sure in my head, like somebody better be killing those chickens because this is important, but I got to feed 40 people, whatever. We'll figure it out later. And, um, <clears throat> we're just talking to his family and this is so crazy guys. His brother Stanford, his whole family says, we, we, we want to give our life to Christ. Like we need to do this. But his brother looked at us and he said, I want to be baptized in water. And, um, I was so moved because some of them had kind of heard maybe from Catholic missionaries like 30 years ago. And they were all, some of them had this idea that like, if a priest threw water on you, you were saved. And we were like, oh, what, why, why do you think that? And so he said, I want to be baptized in water, like, the right way. He had, he had had this understanding, like, okay, like, I think this needs to happen. And so we explained the whole thing, like, all of what baptism means. And we fetch a bucket of water, because there's not... Oh, you know what? There might be a picture of this. Oh, yes, there is a picture of this. Oh, my cute husband. Oh, and there's another one somewhere, too. You'll see water splashing. I don't know. And, um... Oh, oh, that lady, she got healed of blindness. Crazy. Next. And then... That was so sweet. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Exactly like that. So we fetch a bucket of water because there's not like a body of water nearby that we could like, you know, dunk people with. And we did that. We baptized him just like this. <laughs> just doused him in water and we lay hands immediately. We pray for the infilling of the Holy Spirit because we believe in the baptism of fire and water at the same time. Like baptize him in water, then the Holy Ghost. Like same time. Two for one. And, uh, we do this with him and he's, he's, so he literally, he like, he starts praying in the spirit. He is just shaken by the power of God. And he looks at us after he's been baptized. Y'all, this is crazy. This is the heart of missions. I really am going to be done after this. I'm sorry. But he looks at us and <clears throat> after he's been baptized, he's so sweet. And he says, how long do I wait before I shower? And we were like, oh. we we're like, Stanford, <laughs> whenever, whenever. But then he said, I need to tell everyone about this. 
And what I didn't mention before, and I'm embarrassed I didn't mention this, Stanford had tried to commit suicide three weeks before we came. He had eaten an entire bag of insecticide, and Zambians weren't necessarily, like, suicide isn't common in Zambia. I mean, like, here, like, every third person you talk to struggles with suicide. But um, there, it's not like that. But he actually had a lot of money, and I could tell when we were walking up to his house, because he had cows, he had a motorcycle, I was like, oh, Somebody here got money, like, (laughs) no goats, like cows, like, wow. But he had a fancier job that he was commuting out to the city to, lost his job because of COVID, um, discovered alcohol in the city because you couldn't find alcohol in the villages, but found alcohol in the city, got addicted, his wife left him, and um, he, uh, yeah, he was just bound up and all of that, depressed, um, back in this village with his mom, and tried to kill himself. And did not succeed. Hallelujah. And when we came, he 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 knew. He was like, I'm, I do not want to drink alcohol anymore. After you have baptized me in the water. And my village knows me. Like, they know I'm the drunk. Like, they know that when my wife left me. Like, it's really, I'm like the shame of my village, if you will. And he was like, I want to talk to everyone about this. <sighs> we were like, of course, of course, Stanford. We'll figure it out. We'll have a soccer game. Because if you have a soccer game, everybody comes. Mm-mm. Because we say that we're going to play them, and soccer for them is like, you know, a really, really big deal. We always play against them. We always lose. It's great. But um, <clears throat> he he said, I want to tell everybody what you've told me, and I want them to tell them that they need to be baptized. And that is the heart of like what we do, is we want to see people from the place that they are from telling the people that they are surrounded by the good news, right? It's just so much more powerful. And that's why I need you to do this in home assassin. Hello, because you're from here. <laughs> um, but he, <clears throat> we have a soccer game and he addresses, I mean, I got to watch it the very next day. He addressed his whole village. He was like, Hey guys, I'm Stanford. Like, you know, who I am. and he just told them the story that we told him the day before. And he told them that he got baptized and he told everyone like, listen, like these people that have come from very far, two days, two days by airplane, two days, you know, um, so far they have come. And, um, he said, like, they came this far because we really need to know this as a village. And I'm telling you, we had, like, a like a spontaneous baptism. We just went to the well. We were just pumping water over people's heads and, like, just praying for them. And, and we established, even with Stanford now, like, he's being discipled by our team. He's going to become one of our primary co-ministers. He's going to be um, walking people to Jesus for the rest of his life. All the days of his life, he's going to be an evangelist because I decided to delay dinner three, you know, a few hours and I would go to his house and I would talk to him. And so you just have no idea, um, what's behind you just being inconvenienced and you just saying like, okay, I'll minister to this person and I'll pray for this person and I'll do it. So, um, yeah, I think I feel the release. Um, Thank you guys for listening to me. Be praying for my husband and I. We're about 50% funded towards our goal of our monthly support. We don't like, um, like one time gifts are always, always, always wanted, but we have to establish our monthly support so that we can go do our job forever and like never fundraise again. <laughs> um, we just don't have time for it after this, but we're about halfway there, which is amazing. Um, for the amount of time we've been doing it and we're so blessed and it's just like so wonderful but praying for us as we journey as we fundraise for favor with man and you know obviously we have favor from the lord um and then also just be praying for our team uh we, we just we're launching new countries like every couple of months in dangerous places just pray for the hedge of protection over our missionaries um pray for <clears throat> and just an just an abundant increase in people that say yes to the nations of all ages. We need a thousand missionaries because we need to greet these kings that are saying, "Please come and disciple me." You know, um, we just need an influx of people saying yes and all of those things. So, thank you so much, Pastor Jason. Abby, I thank the Lord that. Uh... He didn't quit calling when he called me, amen? And it's an honor to have you here with us and to share with us. And I was going to take up an offering, but you talked too long. No, I'm I'm joking with you. I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. Guys that I uh, ask you to to meet right there in the back, we're going to take up an offering for this couple. And I encourage you that if you feel led by the Holy Spirit to continue to support them monthly, that would be a wonderful soil to sow into. 
I love the fire, Abby. God's not going to just use you in the administrative mission stuff, but you're a preacher, my sister. She is a preacher of the word, and her husband's precious too. You can make it out to the church because the church is also going to add to that as an offering, and we'll count it up, and we'll make sure that that gets to them. And uh, she's got a lot of information. Nowadays, a lot of things can be done online. If you feel uh, led to support them monthly, that's a wonderful thing. Get with her. She can give you. uh, It's amazing. Uh, Myself as a missionary for many years, it was never any big donors that kept us going on the mission field. You know, you kind of think, well, somebody will step up and give me $1,000 a month. It was the faithful people who sacrificially, even $20, $30, $40, $50 a month for Leah and I while we were on the mission field literally kept us going, kept us traveling, kept us ministering all those years that we were on the mission field. And Abby, you've chosen to take a step of faith, a walk of faith with your husband, Chris, and we just honor that. Amen? While you're doing that, stretch your hands out this way. Let's, Let's pray God's abundant blessing and that hedge of protection that she asked for. Father... It is truly an honor to be a part of this young couple's life. God, I thank you for the call of God that is so evident on her and her husband. Lord, you you formed them in their mother's womb, and you called them from their mother's womb to be witnesses to the nations of the world, God. What an honor. We stand in awe of you, but we also stand in honor of Chris and Abby tonight. Father, we pray as a church tonight that you would raise up that hedge of protection that, Lord God, you would go before them in every country that they step foot in, that you have already prepared the way for them, and you hem them in with your presence from behind to the left to the right. May your mightiest angels, Jesus, be around them continually. Father, we pray for the finances that they need. Lord, we know that you're able to do exceedingly and abundantly above everything that they ask or think. So, God, we play a small part tonight in sowing into the soil. We pray for good fruit of salvation, healing, deliverance, all the things, God, that you've called them and anointed them to do. We pray increase upon them tonight, Father, including the financial support that they need. God, we know that you're able, but God, we also understand that you've called us as the body of Christ to rally around young people who feel that call and that passion. God, they're going, so God, you've called us tonight to give. So, Lord, bless this offering and increase it in their lives and in the soil of the mission field around the world of those who have never heard the name of Jesus, those who, who God, are crying out in their own desperation because they followed false gods. God, I pray the truth would continually be in their mouth and they would proclaim it with the fire of the Holy Spirit, Father. We love you and we love them. And, God, thank you for this opportunity tonight in Jesus' name. Guys, if you would... Just come along. If anybody would like to give, we'll pass those uh, offering baskets. You know, I don't pass those around very often, but I felt led this morning to be able to uh, sow into their lives. And what an honor it is to do that. You want me to tell you a quick mission story? Sure. I was in the country of Cameroon. We had had a tremendous time of ministry. Saw the same things that... Our sister just shared, blind eyes open, healing, salvation, just incredible, incredible witchcraft that she mentioned. That's on the other coast of Africa. We are in Cameroon on the eastern coast. The last day we were, last couple days we were there as a group, we went to a little safari. And I was really expecting something big, lions and cheetahs and all these things. And uh, they had a few monkeys in a cage. And uh, I was very disappointed. And The monkey threw a rock at me. I was the last one kind of moving through. And so I picked it up and threw it back at him. And they actually kicked me out of the safari. So that's that's my mission story tonight. They said, sir, you've got to leave. You're not supposed to throw things back at the monkeys. And uh, so that's it. That's my story. I'm sticking to it. I've got a lot better ones than that. A lot better ones than that. I'll share them with you sometime. Hey, next week, I want to invite you to come. Um, I feel led to do a verse-by-verse study of Isaiah 53. We're coming up on Easter, and that is one of the most incredible prophecies, and we're going to do it verse-by-verse. So we're going to take many weeks, and we're going to break this down, and we're going to go through it leading up to Easter and study that. Amen? Amen. Sunday, 10 o'clock, of course, and you guys go and be blessed tonight. Amen? Uh, Come hug Abby and tell her we appreciate her being here. And uh, 
hearing her talk tonight, her and Leah get along really well. Really well. <laughs> they both talk about the same speed, I think. Amen.